Turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 2, please. 2 and 3 is where we're going to be in these next few minutes. I don't have a real lengthy sermon prepared. In fact, I had a sermon prepared that I ditched later this week. It was totally prepared, and I was like, man, there, yes, the plan. And I just, Lord kind of took me a different direction to the book of Revelation. Chapters 2 and 3 have been some of the helpful, most helpful chapters in the Bible for me as a pastor. A few years back, we preached through chapters 2 and 3, and then taught through the rest of the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, but we preached through chapters 2 and 3 on Sunday mornings, and we had a chance to engage each of seven churches. There are seven churches here in chapters 2 and 3 that each receive letters, when we could call them, based on what they are, report cards from Jesus on how they're doing as a church. And let me tell you, as weird as Revelation is, I mean, it is definitely a challenging book. And there are very diverse approaches to it. The, you know, the, the commentaries are all over the place on what is actually being communicated in Revelation. There's lots of meaning that may be future, that may be present, that may have already happened. But one thing is sure about the book of Revelation is seven letters went to seven very real churches. We're not talking about some sort of made-up churches. We're not talking about figurative churches. We're talking about real churches with real issues. These seven letters went to these real churches who, for these churches and for the Jesus reporting on them, church is not a notion. It's a real identity. It's not figurative It's not ethereal. It's not just an idea. It is a real living organism for them. Organic community of people with real names, real issues. And these people in these churches, according to these letters, were led by real people. They, in each of the letters, are called angels. You may not think of me as one of those, but that's really who it's speaking to, the messengers of those churches. Maybe a messenger might be easier to digest when you're thinking about the leadership of the church. The messengers of the church who, according to these letters, are accountable for their movement as leaders and are accountable for how the church moves with them. Real letters to real churches led by real people with real issues and real life. There's real names connected to some of these letters. A man named Antipas, who was the faithful witness of Pergamum. A woman with a real name, a real woman named Jezebel. Not a made-up figurative woman. A real woman named Jezebel, who's the false teacher of Thyatira. Church, according to these letters, also deals with Real false teachings, not figurative things, but real false teachings that they are dealing with throughout these seven letters. The synagogue of Satan has their teaching. Maybe that's the Judaizers that influenced 
the Galatian church, bewitched, we should say, the Galatian church, the synagogue of Satan, there's the Nicolaitans, there's the Balaamites, there's real false teachings that these real churches are having to contend with, like we, being a real church, have to contend with false teachings that we may be exposed to, the health and wealth baloney gospel, the name it and claim it mindset, the word faith movement, the Jesus only movement, some false teachings out there that are right here and you may not even know it. Something that we're dealing with in our context that I would say is a false teaching or a reality of, I don't, I don't know, is where we live, is churchless Christianity. That there is even such a thing, I would say, is a false teaching that the church, this real church, has to contend with. These real people in these seven letters, just think about this for a moment, had real wives and real husbands. They had real wives that likely had to deal with and struggle with the difficulty in following real, frail, feeble dudes. Real guys that probably didn't do a very good job listening. Real husbands. Real fathers that had the potential to exasperate their children, but yet had a tremendous amount of influence over real kids that maybe at times had real struggles obeying their parents. Maybe there's real grandparents in there that got their way with their grandparents, got to do anything they wanted. These are real people. They're not figurative. They're not made up. They're not symbolic. These are real people with real history, real relationships, real lives, in real churches. Now, these letters that go to these real churches, they all sort of form, follow the same form or a similar form. If you're to break it down, the anatomy of these letters, they begin with a to. Who is the letter to? Then they go from there to a from. And the way the from is developed is some characteristics of Jesus, the one who's doing the report, the one who's doing the assessment on the church. And the characteristics oftentimes have something to do with what's unfolded in the rest of the letter to the church. There's the to, there's the from, and then there's the body of the letter that deals with the report. And almost as a rule, the report breaks down beautifully, beginning with praise. Jesus must have studied Philippians chapter 4. Actually, he fueled the words of Philippians chapter 4 to consider and think on the things that are lovely and praiseworthy and commendable. Because each of these letters, even these churches that really were struggling and doing some things poorly, he finds some, something that's praiseworthy. <laughs> he begins with the praiseworthy, and then he moves to the warnings in these churches. Some of the churches are affirming sort of encouragements, but most of the churches of the seven got warnings, very stiff warnings, and then a promise based on the warning of an outcome and then a charge and an encouragement to listen. Him, for him who has ears, listen. I thought it would be helpful based on how we're going to spend the rest of our morning to read just one of these letters. I'm going to read one of, the, one of my favorites to the Church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia had lots of things that are praiseworthy, but I want you to consider the form and how, what unfolds in these next few minutes in chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Here's the two. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, again, if 
helping you make sense of that, to the leadership of the church, to the messenger of the church or messengers. The words of the Holy One, this is the from, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. This is referring to our Savior. Now here's the report. I know your works. He sees their works. Every single one of the letters have a version of this. I know your works. I know your movement in great detail. I see everything that you do. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow before your feet, and they will learn, they, they will learn that I have loved you, the church. Because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will come to you, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Now here's the charge to the Philadelphia church. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. These are the promises. The new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. And here's the charge to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. They all follow a similar form. And in each of these letters, in each of these reports, to each of these churches, what rings true in all of them are eternal consequences for how they do church. Eternal consequences for how these real people made up of, or these real churches made of real people do real Sunday morning, March the 22nd, church. It's not figurative. I'm talking about real stuff. And there's a consistent theme in them all. Consequences, terrible consequences for the unfaithful. The unfaithful in these letters are called the dead, the sleeping, the lukewarm, the tolerant of false teaching. Terrible consequences for the unfaithful judgment that's coming. But beautiful blessings for the conquerors. The conquerors in each of these letters, this word conqueror is the word nikao. It's related to the Greek goddess Nike, and that's where Nike got their name from. It means to conquer. And they are called to conquer. You think of your part and role in life in church as something that you have to conquer? We should because each of these churches are called to conquer. And there's wonderful blessings in store for the conquerors who continue to the end. Some of the judgment is terrible for those who are unfaithful. For Pergamum, he says, I'm going to come and make war with the sword of my mouth. 
For Thyatira, there's, I'm going to throw Jezebel onto a sickbed. I'm going to strike her children dead. And I'm going to give to each of you according to your works. Some terrible judgment coming from Jesus for some of these churches. To Laodicea, lukewarm Laodicea. Since you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. How a church does church apparently matters, and apparently he sees it. He sees it. I know your works, and I'm going to give to each of you according to your works. I was thinking on Hebrews the last three and a half years almost. We started in Hebrews in August of 2011, thinking about all that we've gathered in the book of Hebrews, what we've learned about the book of Hebrews. I was thinking this week, and this is where I feel like the Lord led me in preparation, is to know that Jesus, just as he saw the works of these seven churches in great detail, just as he was able to give them a report card on how they were moving at the moment, he has in some ways, through the book of Hebrews, given the Hebrews church a report card. In some ways, we could write an eighth letter. We're not going to add scripture to the book of Revelation. We're not going to be guilty of that. But we could, from the book of Hebrews, glean and gather even the same elements that are in each of the letters to the churches in Revelation and build an eighth letter that's scriptural, verbatim. Here are the report card might go something like this. I'm going to give you a heads up about where we are in the letter, and I'm going to give you a reference. And I'm also going to send this out to the church later this week. For those of you that have been part of the journey since August 2011, these are passages that are going to come to mind and probably stir, oh, I remember that sermon, or sermons. (laughs) I remember a couple years ago when we're back there. For some of you that haven't been part of the conversation, you may have some work to do, but know that the resources are there. All of these sermons are online, and I'm even going to give you some reference about when those sermons, specific sermons, were preached, so you can go back and listen to them, and you can connect to the conversation. But here's what I would propose would be the eighth letter. The two, to the angel of the Hebrew church in Rome, write, here's the from, The words of his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's from Hebrews 1, verses 2 through 4. Now, for the body of the letter to the Hebrew church, here's the report. Let's begin with praise. I know that after you were enlightened, Hebrews church, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on those in prison for their faith, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It's chapters 10, verses 32 through 34. Now for the warning. 
to the Hebrews church from chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and chapter 4, verse 11. But you should take care, Hebrews church, take care lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You need to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For you share in me, if indeed you hold your original confidence firm to the end. You're a conqueror if you hold to your original confidence firm to the end. Strive to enter God's rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience of your Jewish fathers who did not receive their reward, mind you. Now the charge to the Hebrews church. Most of this comes from chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, but there's some from chapter 12 and chapter 13 that will be more familiar to us, more recent. Hebrews church since you have confidence to enter the holy places by my blood and by the new and living way open for you through my torn flesh, and since I'm your high priest over the house of God, you must together draw near. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your bodies washed with pure water of baptism. You together, Hebrews church, must hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. You must together consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Because remember, I see them. Not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see my return nearing. You must together... Lay aside, Hebrews church, lay aside every weight and sin that's encumbering you. Instead, you must together run the race with endurance, looking to me, the author and perfecter of our our faith, of your faith, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You together must come to me outside the camp and bear the reproach I endured, and you together must seek the city to come. Chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. And now for some promises. Following the same form from chapter 13, chapter 7 and chapter 13 of Hebrews. For I am able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through me, since I always live to make intercession for you. Chapter 7, verse 25. For I have said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And then the call to listen, I had to borrow from Revelation for this last phrase. But I'm including some of the concepts Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers and finishes the race that's set before them with endurance will receive the promised reward. It's pretty cool when you think about it, the ability to build this letter from the book of Hebrews, the the time investment, the preaching, the listening investment that we've had there over three and a half years 
we realize the Hebrews church also are real people. And there's some real reporting there on real movement of real church. It's not figurative. And this charge specifically of this letter that we've drafted right from the book of Hebrews is filled with verbs. It's filled with rich, awesome verbs. Last Easter, we considered some of those verbs for the first time. Last Easter Sunday was the Sunday that we, after tons of work moving all the way through Hebrews chapter 10, we considered the first pregnant verb of drawing near with a true heart and full assurance. Based on Christ as high priest, based on Christ as the perfect high priest, the perfect sacrifice, based on his perfect and finished work and his mind-perfecting, conscience-perfecting work on the worshiper, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. Let us, a bunch of individuals, through the work of Christ, draw near with one singular true heart in full assurance. That's church. Man, that's what I want to be part of. God, please guard me and guide me and guard us and guide us from going through the motions and missing out on this beauty that we have together. Together, to a bunch of us, plural, drawing near in one heart, in full assurance, a singular heart. May we be that singular heart. The next verb we considered was the hold fast. This was the next Sunday after that. Easter Sunday and the Sunday after that, we considered what I would say would be the three most pregnant verbs in the book of Hebrews. Draw near, hold fast to consider. But hold fast was that next one. Hold fast the confession of your hope. There it is again, a plural. Let us hold fast. A singular confession. A bunch of individuals gathered together with a singular confession and a singular heart. That's church. Let us hold fast to a single confession. And if we wanted to borrow from chapter 13, verse 8, a passage we considered together very recently, a singular confession that we could hold fast to, that the Hebrews' father held fast to, is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can that be enough for us to hold fast to with a singular heart and a singular mind? It should be. That's church. The third verb in chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, is consider. There's hold fast, there's draw near, and there's consider. Consider, think on how can we stir one another up to love and good works. There's an implied reality in there that we need to be stirred to those things. Because we all have the potential, even the Hebrews church apparently had the potential of just showing up. We gravitate toward inactivity. We gravitate toward idleness. But just like we together draw near, just like we together hold fast, we together consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but gathering often, regularly, consistently, relentlessly, enjoying him together for he sees our works. Man, stir me up in those things, please, knowing that he sees them and knowing that I'll be accountable for them. Please stir those in me as I stir those in you. Can we be that kind of church? Can we? No, let's... 
Let's not be the kind of church that doesn't. Man. Just these last few weeks, we've added some recent verbs. This is not even the full complement of the wonderful verbs in Hebrews, but these are responding verbs to Christ as high priest. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, since we're surrounded by the stands full, a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us together run with endurance the race that's set before us. And let us go to Jesus outside the camp, what we've considered these last couple of weeks. Chapter 13, and let us together Again, seek the city to come. We seek the city together. These verbs, I don't see any room for these verbs to be done alone. Our whole Bibles point toward these words, these verbs being done corporately as the people of God. And these verbs, these few that we've gathered here, these few out of Hebrews that we've called out, these few that we've woven into this report card on the Hebrews church, these verbs, if done together, are the marks of a healthy and faithful church. Man, what a wonderful complement of verbs. And when they've been built into us in these last few years, these verbs are the marks of a healthy church who's responding appropriately and fittingly to Christ as high priest, as perfect sacrifice of himself to perfect the likes of us. These verbs are fitting ways to respond, and they're fitting ways to keep running the race. I have two strong hopes I want to share with you. The first is that we as a, as a church, as families, as life groups, as people that deploy in some ways each Sunday at noon or a little after sometimes, that we deploy equipped to go engage a context, whatever it might be. It might be a workplace. It might be a neighborhood. It might be a family. You might be going home to an unbelieving family. That we deploy equipped that we as a people are intentional and mindful and conscious of a community that apparently has no view of a corporate report card and just sees this me and Jesus thing. That's where we live, people. That's who we work with. Those are our neighbors, and I'm not talking figuratively. They're your neighbors, too. That we, this first hope is that we would be a people that living in this community that tragically devalues the the local church, that we are faithful to appeal to them that the scriptures apparently agree with our early church fathers, our Protestant reformers, with those whose shoulders we stand on, that there apparently is no salvation apart from the church. People whose shoulders we stand on believe that. There is no salvation apart from the church. And that we will be faithful to give an account for the hope within. That these verbs are to be done together with gentleness and respect. 
that we would be that people. Salty, bright, aromatic, equipped, faithful, attentive, mindful, verbal. You can't do it by just doing nice things. You can't communicate it by just doing nice things. Do some nice things, but speak the truth in love as you're doing it. That's my first strong hope. And my second strong hope is really behind that, must be behind that. Because without this second one, the first one is a big joke. It's malarkey. Here's my second strong hope and really the foundation for the first one. As we will give an account to the one who will give us a report card. And as we give an account to a community that devalues the the local church. As we give an account with gentleness and respect. That we will be the church by doing these verbs vigorously. By doing these verbs zealously, faithfully, consistently, relentlessly, intentionally. That we'll be a church that's mindful of these things. But in order for that to happen, first of all, it's got to be a priority to us. It's got to be something that we're conscious of, something we're thinking about. We have to be informed about it, and we have been over the last three and a half years. It's been built into us. This is what church is is this is what church does we have to first reckon with the reality this is who the people of god are supposed to be in our world people doing these verbs we can't do this and we can't be this if we first don't see it as what we are to be and we can't do this and won't be this if we're not praying that he'll work it in us these aren't things we can muster i wish they were man i like that kind of thought But they're ultimately things that he's got to work in us. But we can beg him for it. We can pray with precision, surgically. Lord, teach us and grow us in drawing near. Teach us, hold us, bind our wandering hearts to thee as we together hold fast. Teach us how to stir one another up to love and good works. And not be nags, but be encouragements. Real encouragements to one another because we need to be stirred. We have to be intentional about those things. We have to be mindful of those things. And we can't do this and won't do this if we're not even in some way sacrificial about it. It's got to be something that involves your time, your effort, your energy. Those, all, those things cost but if we see it as something that's a fitting and appropriate response to Jesus as high priest, then I'm going to give it a name. It's called worship. (laughs) It's called worship. I don't know what not responding in this way is because this is worship. Being the church and worship are synonymous. Each year we do this thing, this membership renewal, and man, I'm telling you, I don't know how many years. We didn't do it the first couple of years because we were in the process of constituting as our own church. We were a mission of, our, of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. So I think we've probably done this nine times, and every single time it is a mixture of joy as we celebrate people, new people that say, man, I want to be part of that, and of agony. 
a mixture of joy and agony. Agony, as some people say, I don't like this. That, I don't like being expected to be part of each other's lives. I want that to be up to me. I want how I move to just be me because it's me and Jesus thing, is I would say what is fueling some of that thought. I don't want to caricature anybody that steps away from our body because there are good reasons occasionally when each year when we renew or somebody says, man, I'm not, I'm not going to do this this year. I'm going to be led somewhere else. But there are more often than not occasions where somebody says, you know what? This is work. <laughs> I don't like it. It's a little... <laughs> Emphasis. right. Do we have any idea what that was? Okay, well, let's, I hope it not happen, doesn't happen again. <laughs> Membership renewal every year is a mixture of joy and agony because it's hard to say bye to people that you love. And it's hard for people to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this again this year because you feel like, man, I want God's best for you. And I want to be part of your life, and I want you to be part of mine. But every year, there's a, some of both, usually more of the, the former. But I encourage you this morning to be very intentional about how you spend these next few minutes. If you don't want to be part of a people who are very intentional, very conscious, very mindful about being this people, about doing these verbs, then you know what? Maybe you're, you're not in that season, and that's Okay. If Christy and I had visited Cross Point when we were newly married, it would have been a shock to the system and there would have been one Sunday at Cross Point. I'm being really honest. We're just looking for a place to go to church. We loved each other and we loved Jesus. But it was too much for us. It would have been too much for us right out of the wedding shoot. Right? We've talked about it before. You mean from the pulpit every week you're hearing the encouragement to shepherd your family? I'd have been like, man, I love Christy and I love Jesus, but I just want to find a place to go to church. It's just a little much. But I love Christy and I love Jesus. So if you're in that spot this morning, you're like, man, I don't know. I just want to go to church. That's okay. Maybe in time the Lord would lead you to be part of something more intentional, more involved. That's okay. I'm, I mean it with everything in me. I'm not caricaturing that, that thought because I've been there. But if you're in a spot where you're like, man, I'm, I want to be part of something that is really meaningful or intentional, I should say, because the other form of church I would say is meaningful as well because I was, Christy and I were not part of nothing. But if you want to be part of something that's very intentional or that is working at being intentional because none of us have arrived at any of these things. But if you want to be part of a church that is mindful of our commitment to one another and a fitting response to Christ as high priest, then man, whether we are many or few, let us be what God wants us to be. This membership renewal has come at great cost for us over the years, but it's been a great blessing to us because on the other side of it, once we've worked through the aftermath of those that are saying, man, I'm not ready for this, or hey, I have a question about this, or I'm troubled over this, where we spend the next 11 months is looking at one another going, you're with us. 
and I'm with you. I can depend on you, and you can depend on me. So we have at least a year there where we're like, man, we know who is together on this local team. We know who's walking with us, who has my back, and I know whose back I have. I want to be part of that, frankly. I want to be part of that sort of commitment, mindful, intentional commitment to one another to do and be these verbs. Mindful, intentional commitment to one another to be accountable in how we move, not as meddlers, but as brothers and sisters that care about one another. I want to be a part of a church like this. So whether we are many or few, may Crosspoint Fellowship, in response to Christ as high priest and as sacrifice perfectly offered, and as reigning and ruling seated at the right hand right now and in session, whether we are many or few, may Crosspoint Fellowship be comely. It's an old-fashioned word for beautiful for the Irish among you, Bonnie. May we be Bonnie. May we be, whether many or few, may we be Bonnie and be responding appropriately and fittingly to Christ as high priest. I want to give you some guidance on how we spend these next few minutes, but first I want to pray that we would be this people. Whether many or few, that's his business that we would be this salty, bright, aromatic people. And then I'll give you some instruction. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for this beautiful picture of the letters to the churches in Revelation. I'm so thankful for the realization that there is and will be a reckoning with our Savior and our groom for how we have been readied for the wedding. God, I pray that we will be comely and beautiful and bonny because you have worked it in us year by year, commitment by commitment, intentional, inefficient, cumbersome, joyful, and agonizing commitment year by year. God, I'm thankful for this picture and this glimpse into Revelation and this three-and-a-half-year glimpse into the Hebrews church to see what verbs really matter. God, I pray that we would be a people who are drawing near together, holding fast together, considering together how to stir one another up to love and good works because you're seeing those works. That we would together run the race with endurance, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that we together would go to Jesus outside the camp bearing his reproach. And that we together would look to and seek and live for the city to come. God, I beg for this in us. We commit these next few minutes to you. I commit the commitments to you, Lord. I entrust these families to you as they consider and pray and think and move in these next few minutes thankful for this Sunday and this opportunity. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some instructions. This next few minutes is a combination of things that are taking place. The Lord's Supper, uh, offering, and commitments are all taking place at these tables. There are four of these tables that are set up the same. 
and the supper is there for you, the basket is for your membership commitment, or if you're, for example, been visiting with us and you're like, I'd like more information about membership. I'm not committing to that, but there's a place to indicate on there if you want to talk more about that. Um, the offering, the membership cards, all of that goes in that basket. It's not administrative stuff. Make this an act of worship just as much as the supper is an act of worship. A very intentional, mindful commitment to be part of each other's lives in the church, a real church with real people in a real meaningful way. I want to encourage you as you come up to come as families. And I want to ask that the shepherds of those families will guide their families in the supper. And it may just be a moment of taking the elements and praying over your family. If you're a visitor with us this morning, you're invited as well if you're trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. If you're not a believer, this table and this meal is not for you. We're not being ugly. Just know this table is for those who are enjoying and trusting Christ. But if you are and you're visiting with us this morning, then come and take and eat. Now, if you're single this morning, if you're here by yourself, if you're just single in general, or if you're just single this morning, then connect up to another family as they go up. And let their shepherd be your guide for the few moments that you spend together. Make this a time of family worship as you come and take and eat. Drop the commitment cards in the baskets. Drop the offering plates in the baskets. And then um, worship as you go about this. Now, Scott, who is beginning with this? These guys, the, the band? Huh? Yes. Okay. All right, let me pray, and then we'll let these guys begin. They'll lead us in these next few minutes. Oh, let me also say this. After I pray, if you're a family that has little bitty ones over there, quickly, expeditiously, grab those little bitty ones and come back, and that's going to give you the chance to have your whole family here together, one, and two, it's going to give those workers over there the chance to be part of this time that we celebrate each year. So if you can expeditiously grab those little ones, that would be great. And trust me, we have enough time planned to account for you to come up as families when you get back. So don't, don't fret. There'll be, there'll be time. There'll be enough for you. Okay? Let's pray. God, we are thankful for these next few minutes in advance. Thanking for these thank you for these commitments. Uh, I pray that you would prepare our hearts as we take the supper together and as we make these commitments. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll let the band guys lead out.